Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here to talk to you about how to reinvent yourself. And I am so thrilled this morning to have somebody who I've known and admired for a very long time. I've never actually spoken directly with her um, on this podcast. Her name is Joan London, and she was just an amazing Good Morning America host for many, many years. I grew up with her. She was an institution. You would turn on Good Morning America to know what was going on in the world every morning. There were no no internets. There were no podcasts. There was no other way to know what was happening. And she was that voice that let you know uh, you were going to be okay in the world and we were going to get it all started together. And I mean, I was going to read you just a little bit about her career. It is so huge. There are not many people who I interview that I would start on their Wikipedia page, but I'll just give you a little glance of it for the people who may not know all her accomplishments. And she was hosting um, with ABC's Charlie Gibson. She reported from 26 countries, covered four presidents, five Olympic games and two royal weddings. Her popularity on the GMA program from the 1970s through the 1990s allowed her to interview U.S. presidents and first ladies, Gerald and Betty Ford, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, Ronald and Nancy Reagan, George and Barbara Bush, Bill and Hillary Clinton and Texas Governor George W. Bush and Laura Bush. And as host of GMA, she traveled the world covering historic events such as the 50th anniversary of the VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, the um, Winter Olympic Games in Sarajevo, Calgary, the wedding of Prince Charles, Diana, Princess of Wales, you name it. Um, she is just, she was it. Um, and then, of course, uh, she left GMA after 17 years as co-host and had to figure out what she was going to do next because GMA decided that they wanted to go younger. Gee, does that sound familiar? Um, exactly what happened to me in my uh, magazine more where they decided they didn't want to talk to people over 40 anymore and they were just going to change it all about and turn more into something else. Um, and this happens. It happens to everybody. I'm sure it's happened to some of you. And what's just absolutely amazing is she is now deep into the health world. She has written eight books. She has a new book, which is out, which is why we're speaking with her, which is called, Why Did I Come Into This Room? A Candid Conversation About Aging. It's charming. It's lovely. And what's fun is she doesn't take herself too seriously. There's a funny picture on the cover. Um, and I love somebody who can laugh at ourselves that all these kooky things we do um, as we get older. But I think her bigger message is something you really have to hear, which is we are stuck with an old idea, an old concept of aging. And um, we used to think that, you know, over the age of 60, it was, you know, one and done. You were going to be in a rocking chair in an old age home and was, you're on your way out. And what we have not grappled with is that we actually have these very, very, very long periods sometimes 30, 40 years um, to deal with our next phase of life, which is really what Covey Club is all about. How are we going to approach that? And I would say that largely her attitude is attitude. How you look at this, if you look at it as 
an incredible amount of time to now really do what you want to do or become who you want to become. You are ahead of the game. And so I hope that you will enjoy our conversation and you will get, she really goes into very specific tips and tricks about how to change your mindset and how to prepare yourself to not be completely thrown for a loop when that big giant job and maybe a public job comes to a screeching halt. Because as we know, it does for everybody. And as we're living longer, it has to. These, these jobs and these big heights that we can take ourselves to, no matter what profession, they can't last forever. And it is joy, it, there are going to be ups and downs and we have to figure out how to reinvent ourselves for the next several years or even decades. And she's the empire she's created after her big public uh, job on GMA is so much more rewarding and so much more stable. And she, you just have to listen to the joy in her voice. So let's welcome Joan London. So welcome, Joan. I've been a big fan for so many years. I'm so delighted to have you here. And I'm delighted to be here. I've followed you from magazine to magazine, and this is awesome. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Doing our own thing after working for those giant corporations. It's so yeah. different, but it's so much fun. And I love this book. Why did I come into this room? Now, every time that I do that, that I can't remember <laughs> why I'm standing there. I think of your book and I think of the, the picture you have on the front is kind of funny because that's what I think of myself as looking like every every time I do that now. So. Well, that's funny because that's why I, I said to the photographer, I don't, I'm not going for that typical beauty shot. This is a funny book. It's about annoying, worrisome things. And I really felt I had to, to write it with a sense of humor. If you're going to talk about forgetfulness and expanding waistlines and weak pelvic floors, man, you got to have a sense of humor. I said, and I need that picture to be, to, to really say, what am I doing in here? <laughs> no, it's funny. It definitely, it's, it's in my head and it's how I look every time I get up. We have 21 stairs in the new house for between the first floor and the second floor. What was I thinking? And you do, you go all the way up and you go, what was that about? And then it's so far down that you're like, okay, I've got to really think about this because I don't want to go back yep. down and come back up. Yep. So yep. And you know, if you're hilarious. in your 20s and you walk into a room and, and forget what you were there for, you don't think twice. Mm. But if you're in your 50s or even your 40s and you do it, you think something's sudden, wrong. Oh, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, is this the beginning? You right. know, do I have dementia? And the fact right. of the matter is, is that you probably don't. It's kind of age appropriate forgetfulness, but it really strikes fear into a lot of people. Oh yeah, every little change now is yep. makes it so, so fearsome. So let's talk about your book. And what I liked is a quote that you said in the foreword. Quote, it's up to us to replace the dismal expectations of aging with an anticipation of enjoyment and excitement if you plan it that way. So how does intentionality change how you feel about aging? And, and maybe you can talk about your own experiences with that. You know, I remember when I was a little girl and my mom always used to say to me, well, she always used to say, have one big party a year so you really clean your house. <laughs> but she always used to say, have plans. It's, you know, half the fun of doing anything in life 
is planning it and then anticipating it. And I think that's how we have to look at the aging process. I mean, first of all, I wanted to really go over the basics with women of how our bodies work, how they change, because I think a lot of women fear that it's something that they're just going through, that they did something wrong, and this, this is only their problem, when it's actually a real natural biological change in their life. And then the next thing, which is maybe even scarier, is they start to feel less appealing and less relevant. And when it comes to that, that has we have to take charge of that one. You know, I think reinvention is going to become more important than ever, but aside from whether you go back to school or whether you get a new career, I wanted to talk about personal reinvention. And to me, that's that moment where you say, all right, so I'm mature now. I can kind of step back, take a big deep breath, exhale, and look at my, my life, the, a life well lived, and let go of all the stuff that doesn't matter. Um, and maybe ask yourself some very important questions like, who am I really? You know, am I kind? Am I giving? Am I there for people? Um, have I, you know, lived out my dreams? Because to me, this is kind of a, it allows you to pivot toward the rest of your life and decide how you want to live it. You know, in the past, you know, in your 60s, you might have said, oh, what the heck? You know, I've only got a couple more years probably. But now you say, wait, I got a couple more decades. So we need to plan those decades. And the worst thing a person can do when it comes to aging is to assume that you are going to deteriorate, that you assume that you're not going to be relevant anymore, to assume um, that you're going to become invisible. And I think a lot of women feel that way. So I needed to like get a sisterhood going here and saying, stop thinking that way and start planning an exciting life. And that could be anything. It doesn't have to be some fabulous new job. It, that's incredibly individual. But to me, this is probably the most important pivot point in your life. Do you think that's just old think, Joan, coming from the fact that in the past, um, they picked 65 as an age for retirement because yeah. you croaked right after that. That was the health that's statistic, right? right? So people have still stuck in this old think of deterioration and all this stuff, and it doesn't really happen. And so they, they sit there and we haven't, we're not taking advantage of this huge amount of lifespan that has come to us accidentally and we didn't know about it. Yeah, you know, the lifespan in America has changed so, well, not just in America and everywhere, has changed so dramatically. In 1939, in this country, longevity was about 59 years old, the average longevity. But that's when my mom was a young woman, you know, working and planning her life. She thought she was going to die at 60. She was shocked that she lived till almost 95. And even though this lifespan has changed kind of right in front of our eyes, I just don't think most of America has grasped it has caught up with it they you know they have hundreds of thousands of hours of programming in their in their brain that you know uncle charlie can't get out of the chair because he's getting old and so and so's got to quit working because you know he's in his 60s we've heard all of this for our entire life 
you're going to slow down, can't get up, gray hair, the whole thing. And it's hard to kind of get beyond that, I think, for a lot of people, until all of a sudden, all those boomers, 76 million boomers, are kind of like right here now, at, we're all together at this pivot point. And people need to jump, get in the boat with us and realize that they've got to start making plans. Otherwise, aging and life just kind of happens to you. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think that, the, that our culture has really caught up with the reality of how aging has changed in this country. So, so how do we do that? How do we convince people that they do have this, I mean, obviously we're all starting to say that, but how do we really convince them of that and to get rid of the old programming in their heads? It's people like you and me who go out there and rattle the bushes. But, you know, when I, when I started writing this book, I actually started about five years ago. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll be candid. It was called Live Younger Longer. And I couldn't somehow wrap my brain around. I didn't, I wasn't buying into my own book. Then I got diagnosed with cancer and lived through that cancer battle. But it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes a health crisis to make people start really tending to their health. Um, but it does. And I learned so much about my body and how it worked and how lack of hydration and lack of sleep and stress and all these things affected my body and my cells. And I wanted to learn more. So I started researching it. And all of a sudden I thought, no, no, no. The point's not to live younger longer. The point is to live stronger and healthier longer and to understand, really understand how my body works. And I say my body, and I say that as a woman, only because our bodies age very um, different than a man's because of the depletion of hormones. And it really brings on all kinds of um, effects of aging, you know, leaking when you sneeze, um, discomfort when you have sex, um, because the vaginal wall, uh, gets thinner and thinner. All these things that women are worried about, but they're also a little embarrassed about. Um, and embarrassed so much that they tend not to even talk to their doctors about them. And that's the sad part. There are remedies for a lot of these things, but if we don't talk about them, I think back to when Betty Ford got cancer and she started talking about it publicly. And what that did is she made it okay for other women everywhere to talk about breast cancer. And up until that point, doctors were hard pressed to even be able to say the word breast. And so now here we are, you know, we went through that revolution and here we are. I don't want these subjects to be taboo anymore. Um, we need to all talk about them together. We need to have permission to talk about them. We need to teach our daughters so that this all doesn't come as a surprise as they get older. You know, I find that most women agree with me that we're totally unprepared for perimenopause and menopause. Um, we don't understand all the things that come with it that are natural. Um, and I think that it can, I want to unburden women from that needless worry. And I want to enlighten them with, you know, just basic knowledge and hopefully in all of that it will empower them and give them kind of a new freedom to be 
understand that they don't have to be embarrassed about what's happening to their bodies, um, that, they, that they can speak up, they can talk, talk to each other. And today we have these incredible platforms, you know, social media where, and podcasts like this where you can join that discussion or hear other women talking about what they feel is taboo, but what they're really, really worried about. Yeah, I find the isolation. That's why I started Covey Club. The whole reason was to break through the isolation, yeah. which is ironically what the original women's magazines were all about. Um, yeah. They were to break down isolation. It was just done in print. Well, you know, we, we live in such a different world today, and it has its negatives, certainly. But I think the positives, um, I... I see on like my place my uh, Facebook platform a woman will come on who's had a mastectomy and says oh my gosh I'm leaving on a vacation I have no idea where I should get a bathing suit now ten women will come on after right after her and reply to her and, and tell her it, it's a sisterhood that's really um, really wonderful to see it's strong and it's compassionate and we can grow that you know I mean that's that's there's a there's a real strength in that that sorority, if you will. But of course, that's a sorority you don't really want to belong to. But the bigger sorority, the big sisterhood of all of us, we need to start feeling comfortable and trusting to talk with each other about what's worrying us. And that can be the physical side of this, or that can be the emotional side which includes, you know, letting go of all the stuff you've been carrying around forever, and that's never going to change, and it doesn't make any difference anymore, which allows you to have a better appreciation for life. It allows you to experience gratitude, which in and of itself is almost like a fabulous prescription. And it then allows you to contemplate, like really contemplate those questions, those personal questions about how you've lived your life and are you happy with that? And that's not, you know, this isn't like a morose kind of thing. To me, this is a, like a little second chance. To me, this is the personal side of reinvention. Say, you know what? I want to start doing more things for other people. I want to work on something where I'm going to really make a mark in the world. You know what? I've got all these amazing skills that I've had all my life. Let me see how I can work with a company to help just teach younger people coming in or, it, it could take any form. It might be taking the form of, you know, I want to take care of aging parents. And there's no right answer, but it is your second chance. Yeah, I feel that way too. I, I always, when I hear people saying to me, oh, I'm getting old, I'm so depressed or whatever, I'm like, look around at the people who didn't make it. And there are plenty of people who haven't made it to my age and I feel like it's all gravy from here on in. Yes, yes. I think I used a, a quote of Ellen DeGeneres in the book that says, I don't know why everybody thinks that being over the hill is a negative. When I'm hiking and I get over the hill, that means the hard part is gone and there's a cookie in my future. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw that one. I thought that, I thought that was really great. Do you want to talk a little bit about your personal reinventions? Because you've had quite a few. Sure. And, you know, and what the struggles are um, now that you've been through a lot of them um, that women might 
not expect someone of your sort of accomplishments and visibility to have struggled through? Well, you know, when you leave a job, um, I kind of learned when I left GMA um, what men have gone through forever, you know, in the past where they are in some, some career their whole lives and all of a sudden they have to retire and they say, so now who am I? And they, so they would get depressed because all of a sudden their whole definition of their of self kind of disappeared. And when I left Good Morning America, I got to tell you, um, I kind of experienced that same thing. My Who I was was so inextricably woven into being the host of Good Morning America for two decades that you are left uh, kind of flailing and kind of trying to figure out how you define yourself. And I remember right when I left, I, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. So I did know that I was not comfortable speaking in front of large groups, to which my friends all used to say, come on, how can that be? How can you get worried about being in front of 500 people when on air you have 25 million people watching you every day? And I would say, yeah, but I never see any of them. And so I decided to get over that fear. And I signed up with Tony Robbins and went out on tour with him for two years. We did about 26 speeches a year in front of, by the way, crowds of 25,000 people in big arenas. And I mean, the first few were almost surreal. I was so nervous. I don't even hardly remember them, but I got over it. And ironically today in my world today, because um, I do a tremendous amount of speaking today, maybe 30 speeches a year. And I'm like literally a walking, living example of, of how you can turn a total fear into a total passion. So it can be done. But another thing I, I remember as I left GMA, my attorney said to me, your biggest challenge is going to be knowing what to say no to. And he was so right because... I found that I needed to decide for myself, what do I really care about? What am I really passionate about? How would I like to make my mark in this world? And, and I knew it was in the world of health. My dad was a doctor, he was a cancer surgeon. I always thought I was gonna be a doctor, but I didn't end up going that route. Um, but here I, I could interview experts and disseminate important health information and that could be my my form of carrying on his legacy and so I really really focused on on health and you know we never even had laptops when we were at Good Morning America Charlie and myself it's hard to even imagine that but I got my first laptop after I left GMA so I went to start a website and the first thing I thought of was call it John London's Healthy Living. So kind of I was on my way at that point to say, I really have to decide now, and I think this is important for a lot of people who reach that point and have to leave a job, to decide what you're really passionate about. And that's what you hear that's tossed around a lot, but it did help me focus. So I knew what to go after and I knew what not to say yes to. Um, and it's been almost 20 years. I mean, it's been, I think, almost 20 years since I left GMA. So I like walked down this path. And now today, I have an incredibly robust career 
in the field of health. I'm heading up campaigns um, in the cancer field, in senior living. Um, I just did my first podcast myself for the Washington Post uh, in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic, interviewing experts about the future of healthcare. You know, and I, I can now, like, I'm so settled in what I'm doing now. This is this is my new reinvention, and I love it. And I remember leaving GMA. One reporter said to me, "Well, after a job like this, I don't know how you're ever going to find anything ever that's going to equal this." And it was, it was a really cruel question. But I think about that guy, and I said, "It doesn't necessarily have to be this. It can be something else that's also incredibly cool." And I'm in it. <laughs> And you know what they say, revenge, a, a, a good life is the best revenge. <laughs> Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about that? Um, I think there's a lot there and I hear it a lot from women. And I think it's because we were the first generation to really get out there and work full time. Yeah. That maybe there is a hole in our learning where we accidentally absorb the best and the worst of what men did, which was take the job as our total identity. And then when these identities are stripped off of us, um, even those of us who, you know, I mean, I was a full-time mom as far as I was concerned and a worker mm-hmm. and um, both balanced everything out, uh, I thought. Um, but it was still, it's really painful when you have to leave those very big jobs for one reason or another. Do you think that we just, maybe just because we were the first generation out there, we haven't been prepared and that we can prepare ourselves in a different way. I see so many women struggling with this. Their jobs are their identities, and I'm shocked that we are there. Yeah, you know, the statistics say that a young person who's 18 years old today could have a dozen different jobs by the time they're 35. I find that statistic startling. Um, I mean, the generation that came before us, our parents' generations, when they got out of school, they probably went into a career thinking that they were going to be in that career or maybe even with that firm for the rest of their lives because that's the way life used to be. And it's a completely different game plan now. And I I guess maybe because young people do go from job to job to job to job, they're more used to that. You know, I went into broadcasting, worked for a small NBC affiliate in my hometown. And then two years later, jump to ABC. And that's where I was for the next two, two, well, 25 years, actually. And so we don't have that experience of having to like look for the next job and being comfortable, you know, moving around. I think going forward, you know, young people are really going to have to have a real clear view of what their transferable skills are. Um, And they're going to have that knowledge and understanding probably just by experience of how they can like pivot and use their skill set in an it may be a completely unrelated field but that can where they can utilize their skill set we didn't have that kind of mindset so you know when G, when good morning america decided they were going to go with younger i don't know if anybody really remembers this but they but charlie also was replaced um it just didn't work. I think, and I think that's because America didn't like seeing that. They didn't like seeing, you know, the two of us uh, being booted out for 
30-year-olds that kind of look like us. That show lasted about six months and they went away and they had to redo the show. But still, that's it's all part of America getting used to this new age timeline where when you're 45, 50 years old, you're not, you know, that's not your use-by date to be, you know, gotten rid of and get something, you know, younger and fresher. Um, I think it's such a bad business plan because those are people who have incredible background and experience with the company and who have forged this amazing relationship with the customer. Um, but it's still going on. And I think we have a ways before any of that changes. Yeah, that I, I still see it going on, unfortunately. And yeah. I, I see the, you know, we see this in publishing as well with uh, people with experience being replaced by people with no experience who are m- much lower, lower cost, yeah. um, you know, in a, in a challenged industry where cost has become a big issue. So, but it's sad. Talk about having your first set of twins at 52. Do you think that's what keeps you feeling so young? I mean, plugging in that, that, at that age, definitely, because you're going to be hanging around younger parents. You're going to be hanging yep. around. Did that help a lot for you? Yeah. And it's, listen, it's not for everybody, but, you know, I had gotten divorced and I remarried and I remarried a guy who happened to be 10 years younger than me. But interesting. Interestingly, we seemed, anybody who would have met us wouldn't have said, gee, she's 10 years older than him. I mean, it it seemed like a total even keel. And by the way, since women tend to live 10 years longer than men, I think that we are pretty even. You know, I think we're going to probably go out at the same time. But um, I think that uh, the idea of having children at that age some people thought it was crazy. I know, I remember we had a party at our house and a bunch of my kind of type A girlfriends. They came in the front door and they saw um, my two-year-old twins running around my new little newborns. And they, they like put their hand up to their head and said, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted just looking at this. Whereas the French women who had come in as caterers like an hour before for this party, they came in and looked at the same thing and said, oh my, you will never get old. And I thought, isn't that interesting that two sets of eyes can look at the same thing, one sees it as exhilarating and the other sees it as exhausting. So this is to your point of how you view things, how you, it's your, how do you um, uh, think of something in life? If you think of aging as, exhausting and you know deteriorating that could become a self-fulfilling prophecy so you have to kind of replace that and yes I remember taking my older set of twins by the way the twins are now 14 almost 15 in a couple days and the older ones are 16 they're all in high school and we're looking at colleges (laughs) hardly seems possible but when Max and Kate who are now 16 were in uh, nursery school so here I was once again, like 20 years later, sitting in those little tiny chairs in the nursery school. My husband said, don't look now, but the guy right across from us, that was Jamie, my Jamie, who's now turning 40 this year. That was Jamie's boyfriend in high school. 
Oh my God, and, that's and crazy. And he's here with his wife and his little child who's going to be in class with your little children. That was like incredibly crazy. But you know what? It's our world today. And that's just not me. I mean, there are, you know, look, for decades, men have been divorcing women, you know, when they're in their 50s and marrying 20-year-old women. I mean, this has been going on for decades. Nobody even blinked an eye. But now that it's happening kind of the other way around, there's always, of course, room for um, criticism. Right. <laughs> but yes. I swear because I have a fantastic life and I love going to all their basketball games and all their tennis matches and all their soccer games. <laughs> that's great. Yes. I, and, and I totally understand that. It does. Once that's all over, you do feel very unplugged. I have to tell you, it's scary. My kids are in there. 20s now and it's like wait what happened i used to be all yeah. plugged in and i don't know you know memes go around and unless they've sent it to me i don't know what it is <laughs> it really it really is something that plugs you into a whole new world and it's a great thing so that's a fabulous thing well the thing is is that yeah i mean people aren't going to necessarily you know do do what i did however if they're in their 60s, they do need to be make, as I talk about a lot in the book, they do need to be asking themselves questions. How do you see yourself living over the next 30 years? And, you know, they say that isolation is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And that's something that we're really, I think, going to have to contend with as we just walk forward as a society. Um, People need to understand what it is that will make them deteriorate and what it is that will help them retain their cognitive thinking and remain, you know, engaged in life. And, you know, getting older, the important thing at the top of the list is really not so much how much money you save or how many vacation houses you have. The three things at the top of the list that will predict how well you age are A, staying engaged in life. That's number one, not being alone. Number two is having social connections. That doesn't just mean family. That means, it really actually means more than family. It means outside friends, people that you get up and think about that you're gonna talk to, that you're gonna share your life with, that you're gonna do things with. And the third thing is having a sense of purpose. And having a sense of purpose could be any number of things. And it doesn't even have to be a business or a, or a nonprofit it can be planting a garden it can be being part of a book club it can but it's something that you're going to want to get up in the morning and get dressed and be excited about doing it's funny that you kind of just outlined what covey's all about it's really kind of funny it's exactly yeah. what exactly what the mission is in connecting women and making them not feel isolated and trying to help them excavate their sense of purpose so in closing, in terms of reinvention, do you have any words of wisdom for, for women who have had those big corporate lives and are you know, stuck in some kind of moment where they're being downsized or pushed to a department that they know nothing about? I get a lot of calls about, oh my God, I'm being pushed into HR because they don't want me in my line job anymore, <laughs> or who are being replaced for a younger, cheaper version um, or whose industries are being disrupted and they are cast out on the street after 30 years, 40 years of working in their expertise. What, 
What have you learned, Miss Joan? <laughs> well, I think one thing I would say is before you get pushed out, I think it's important for women to make themselves visible in their industry. You know, um, even at, at Good Morning America, uh, when I was finished with the show and finished with all my interviews, you know, I must say I was also thinking about what I had to do with my children later in the day. Meanwhile, all the guys were in the corner office, you know, doing a postmortem on the show, going to lunch together. And if I had been smarter, I would have figured out a way to be, make myself a part of that. I would have inserted myself into that. I, because then you're kind of, I don't mean to say you're in there tooting your own horn, but at least you're part of that conversation. You're giving a, a, a creative ideas and they think of you as someone that you really need, they need to retain you. They need to keep you part of this company so that you help it function properly. So don't hide in your office where someone important that can give you a raise or put you on a special assignment will never see you or never hear you. That's probably one of my most important things. The other thing, I think women have to remember that their important, fantastic baby news is not necessarily important and fantastic to your boss. So you have to figure out ways to go in and share that information in a mature manner that talks about how you've thought out. I mean, you can't just dump it on your boss's desk and say, okay, this is fabulous for me. How are you going to work it out for me? Um, because I think that's where, and if you are, are having a struggling working mommy moment and you are in a big conference and you have to leave to go do something, figure out a way to talk to somebody to take some of the notes and don't announce it to everybody that you've been given permission to go off and, you know, go to your son's play or something because they're, the truth of the matter is, is that other people do resent that, that, you know, even though it's being a good mom, uh, it can lead to, it can lead to eventually feeling, ah, she's not worth it. She has to be gone all the time. And these are just realities that women deal with all the time. I'm sure you hear this from women, but once you have to leave that job for whatever the reason is, you have to give yourself a chance to mourn it. Give yourself a chance to say, you know, uh oh, now what? And then Boy, just pick yourself up and and dig down deep and get a hold of your self-confidence and build it up. And then if you don't have it right then, fake it. Fake it until you build it back. Because when you walk into other interviews, if you walk in with a self-confidence and like, you know, you it's just gonna be your luckiest day if you hire me, um, that's a lot better than looking desperate. I think that's probably my, my top contender. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm really thrilled to spend time with you. And I know our readers are going to go check out, why did I come into this room? A candid, candid conversation about aging. So thanks so much, Joan. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I hope that if you did enjoy it, you will subscribe to our wonderful podcast. 
Give us a rating. Give us a comment. That's how people get to know us. Pass it along to friends. Anybody who's struggling with what's next, how am I going to navigate these changes in my life that come to me and maybe I didn't expect them to show up. Change, as my old boss, Anna Winter, used to say, is good, except it's hard to navigate, and we all know that. And as Joan says, the most important thing is to not do this alone. And that's what this whole Cubby Club is all about, is how to keep us from feeling alone and knowing that none of this is unique. We are all going through it together, and we are stronger together. I hope you'll come join Cubby Club itself. We have a great new app called Cubby Connect, where you can actually talk with other women around the world and around the country who are just like yourself and have the same questions and fears. We also now have Camp Reinvention. Woohoo! We have a new one coming in May, where if you want to do some real deep down digging uh, about how to reinvent yourself, I highly recommend it. We have two wonderful coaches who are sort of calling our Cubby Reinvention coaches, Wendy and Dana. And they really know how to make you start moving. Whatever your blockage is, they understand it. We have a wonderful trip coming up for New Orleans where I'm bringing everybody for fun and food and a little discussion about change. You're not going to get away from that with me. And then we have Savannah 2020 in November. So please go to the site, coveyclub.com, sign up and be part of the fun and be part of the learning and be part of the reinvention of what your life can be in the next few years or decades. Thanks for joining us.